Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Hello there, I am Matt Harris, Seton Tucker in front of me, and we've got a lot to talk about in this episode. We want you to go to MurdochPodcast.com or the Murdoch Podcast Facebook page for your comments. We're always appreciative of you helping us out to get better and giving us information and questions we try to answer. I uh, also would like you to share this and please give it a nice five-star rating if you feel we deserve it at the end of this. We've got to talk about jailhouse phone conversations. We're going to talk about the possibility of some young men working in the PMPD law firm that are being talked to by authorities and we're going to talk about Cousin Eddie uh, appears again. But we want to start with Judge Carmen Mullen. Uh, Seton set that up. So we had some big news with Judge Carmen Mullen. We had a South Carolina solicitor, David Pascoe, sent a letter to the South Carolina Disciplinary Council in regards to Circuit Court Judge Carmen Mullen. In the letter, he says that Eric Bland had filed an official complaint in regards to the Gloria Satterfield-Alex Murdoch matter. As we reported on an earlier podcast, Eric backed off his request to depose Judge Mullen after receiving some pressure. This letter asserts that Judge Mullen recused herself from the Mallory Beach Murdoch matter on April 12, 2019. And then just less than a month later, she signed off on a settlement on May 13th of 2019 after recusing herself from the Beach case. Yes, and we have many questions about that, and that is why we have our legal analyst and fan favorite, a former prosecutor and a former defense attorney, John Snyder. Hello. Hello. How are you guys today? We're great. One thing I want to get right to, because obviously people around the country listen to the podcast, when you say a South Carolina solicitor and an attorney, a solicitor, is it fair to say, is similar to a district attorney in many other places? It is the exact same role. So some states call them district attorneys. Some states call them solicitors, but their their role is the same. They are constitutional authorities whose job it is to execute the and enforce the laws of the state. Okay, so when a district attorney files a complaint, and he filed this complaint, also Eric Bland filed a complaint, does that mean there's potential or a signal that there may be criminal charges, or does it not make a difference that it's the DA or solicitor who filed the complaint? It means two things. One, as members of the bar, we all have an obligation to report misconduct of our peers and report misconduct of judicial officials in the rare occasions that occurs. And so just as a sworn member of the South Carolina State Bar, the solicitor has that obligation. And it is also a signal that Criminal charges may be in the making based on the results of the requested investigation by Bland and the solicitor. So do you think there's a conflict, the fact that Judge Mullen recused herself from the beach based on some personal relationship she had with the Murdoch family and then signed off on this settlement, allegedly signed off on this settlement a month later? If we assume that what's being reported and what we're deducing from the evidence in front of us that she recused herself because of her relationship. Then she turns around with the same party and does not recuse herself. 
that is absolutely going to get lots of scrutiny from authorities, both the, the Judicial Conduct Committee, the state bar, and local law enforcement. She said in the intro, so Judge Mullen recuses herself from any legal matter pertaining to the boat crash in 2019 that killed Mallory Beach, where Paul Murdoch was allegedly driving. And then a month later, May 13th, she signs off on the Satterfield settlement. And they took Murdoch, what do they call it, the caption off? Yes. What does that mean? The caption is what you would call the label or the tag. It's the thing at the very top that you see that says state versus Matt Harris. It lets everybody know who's being sued. And then it also says where, and then the file number tells you what year and where to go find it in the clerk's office. And so captions are actually very important for people to have access to the court system and to see, and the transparency that's part of South Carolina law. So normally it would say Alec Murdoch would be Right there, prominent. Absolutely. So I found it really interesting. The McClatchy newspaper service, they had some quotes from a deposition that was taken of Chad Wessendorf, who was the banker who was hired to be the personal representative of the Satterfield heirs. Yes. And in this document, Bland, of course, the lawyer taking the deposition, asked Westendorf whether Mullen was also aware that Alec Murdoch's name was removed from the caption of the settlement order, which we mentioned. And here's the quote. Ever hear that discussion that the reason Alex's name was being taken off that caption was he didn't want Mark Tinsley, who was suing him for the Mallory Beach boating accident, he didn't want anybody to find out in public record that this kind of money was being paid from his homeowner's insurance carrier. That's Bland's question. Wessendorf, according to testimony, said he heard Corey Fleming tell Mullen that during the settlement conference... He said, Mullen responded, I understand. That's pretty damning right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so you have a judge basically being complicit with a party in a case that she's recused herself from in secreting assets, essentially. I noticed that the FBI and SLED were in on these depositions. Westendorf tells Bland that he told the FBI and SLED, so not in this deposition, but Westendorf saying to Bland, I've already talked to SLED, I've already talked to the FBI, and I've told him these same things. That's what I interpret. Correct. It, it's, it's big time in that the initial statements given by Judge Mullen, by the people recommending that Bland stand down, all of those things seem to be they were told one thing, and now that Westendorf is under oath, he's saying something completely different and something that is inconsistent with inconsistent with what was said. And then the substance of it is way inconsistent with the standards of what a, a judge should be doing. The, the judges should not in any way be taking taking into consideration what's going on in another case especially one that's related. And, and Wessendorf has basically testified to all this under oath. And so you're going to find, I think you go back and listen to our early podcast where we're like, most likely Wessendorf is singing like a bird yep, and sure. probably wasn't aware that what was going on wasn't supposed to be going on. 
you called it from the beginning. You said that. And also the other thing that we need to talk about is the filing. So in this meeting with Mullen and Fleming and Westerfield, they say, we're not going to file it because of the publicity over the boating accident. And she responded, okay. So she agreed, if this is all true, to delaying the filing of the settlement. Yes. She agreed to it not being filed, which would again be inconsistent with the norm. It might be okay, but it's it's smoke, you know. So if it was just that, you'd be like, "Well, that seems weird, but okay." <laughs> but then, when you actually turn around and realize there's a massive fire behind you, with her saying, "Okay, let's keep his name off of it because of the settlement right. that are going on in the other case." You know, and it's all from uh, Westendorf's point of view. We should point out, and I, I just want to spin back for those who haven't been on top of it from the beginning, when the lawsuit was filed, when Bland and Richter uh, uncovered evidence, the full amount that Murdoch's insurance was paying out was 4.3 mil. Some 2.7 was supposed to go to Satterfield's two kids. Six days after the lawsuit was filed, that's when Bland and Richter uncovered the document signed by Carmen Mullen. We talked about it and we're like, okay, did she sign it? Did someone else sign it? Why wasn't this filed? That was a big question at the time. Well, and the signature was, remember, it was kind of scrawled. Yeah. You couldn't yeah. really read the signature, so we don't know if that's her signature. But, I mean, if what Westendorf is saying is true, then it is, in fact, her signature. Yeah. So that's something that has been kind of out there, but we weren't sure what that document was. And now we're starting to find out that maybe, indeed, it was a little bit, uh, let's just slide this through so the money won't be found by anybody suing Alec for money. Well, and another thing to note is this meeting took place in May of 2019. So it was shortly after the death of Mallory Beach. It's, it's awful if said true. And I also want to point out that the South Carolina solicitor, Pasco, he points to patterns. He mentions patterns of Mullen, although this is a single complaint, right? Did you read that too, uh, John, where he mentions a pattern? Actually, he, he lays it on even a little harder where he says, we filed a complaint. You all dismissed it. Now, the same thing that we filed the complaint over that you dismissed has been confirmed by sworn testimony. Right, because they had a 2019 complaint against Mullen, accused Mullen of recording phone calls between parties without consent not disclosing conflicts of interest, which would be this right here, allowing staff members to post critical comments about pending judicial matters on social media and other allegations. So he is saying, I, I filed this, you guys didn't do anything, and here we are again. That's a guy that is wanting this to be heard and taken seriously, and it seems like he doesn't believe it was. I, I don't know anything about this prosecutor other than reading this letter. But it sounds like he's not someone that's okay with the status yeah. quo. He does not believe in the in the system for the system's sake. He's saying, hey, there's an issue. There are problems. You judicial standards ignored those. And here we are a year and a half later. And if you had done some type of investigation, you would have found out what Bland has found out through deposing witnesses and what sled has found out true you, you know you guys never took this seriously and so this malfeasance was able to rot a year and a half longer than it should have and in the meantime 
we as the public which should say, how many other cases, how many other lawyers have benefited from this? And then on the other side, how many people in the courthouse have been screwed over by a system that wasn't operating the way it was supposed to? So you don't often hear about judges being under this kind of scrutiny. So what is the process? Like what happens next with Judge Mullen? The obvious process from this letter will be judicial standards will open a, an investigation. They'll do their investigation. They'll do a report and then they'll publish their decision of, of what action to take. And it could be as little as nothing happened here to a censure, which would be you did bad. Don't do it again. Or it could say you, you're no longer fit to be a judge. Will she remain on the bench until this time? She will. The spotlight that is now on her and the uh, committee or that's going to check into it makes me think it's not something that they can just go, nothing to see here. I, I mean, if they do, then their system is a farce and it should be recognized and, and, and the nation needs to know that they don't take these things seriously. Because at some point, somebody's going to dig into every single ruling dealing with Alec Murdoch and every single judge and every single settlement. Wouldn't you imagine like a fine tooth comb with everything that involved him? Absolutely. You know, so you've got um, the young man that was in the automobile accident, that case. So how many of his cases... Was he taking money improperly to fund his lifestyle and the other lawyers in this town funding their lifestyle on the backs of people that they claim to represent and stand up for? And on top of that, you're going to have to find out who just looked the other way, who was complicit, who you know, that, that that's a whole now we're going deep. Deep, well, you got deep into you got the, I mean, the magistrate who sets bond before a hearing's even had. It's it's as ingrained a community for Alex's benefit as you may find, and anybody that was on the losing end of that corruption ha- has a right to have their cases reheard and has a right to have the people that perpetuated the injustice dealt with properly. One last thing before we move on from Judge Mullen, you wanted to point out about the deeper pockets that might be available. That's right. Judge Mullen is an officer of the state of South Carolina. And so if Bland and other attorneys can prove that her conduct was egregious and not appropriate, the state of South Carolina may have liability and the beaches and the Satterfields may be able to recover against the state of South Carolina. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. 
Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Next up for legal analyst John Snyder, Seton, talk about the jailhouse phone call recordings. So there were some jailhouse phone calls of Alec Murdoch that were released to Fitz News last month. So attorneys for Alec Murdoch have filed suit against the interim director, Shane Kitchens, of the Richland County Detention Center over the release of jail phone calls of Alec Murdoch in federal court. In a quote to the Island Packet, attorney Jim Griffith, who is Alex's attorney, states, the reason we filed the lawsuit was to prevent further disclosure of intercepted phone calls to the public in order to protect Alex's right to fair criminal proceedings and to avoid further exploitation of Alex and his family members in their personal communication. Now, McClatchy, who publishes the state in the Hilton Head Island Packet, they have also asked FOIA through FOIA to get the jail phone calls, but they have not received them. Uh, and the guy that we had on, Jay Bender, Columbia attorney, we had him on, uh, on an episode talking about how this whole thing works with FOIA and whatnot. He believes uh, the release to the public of taped inmate telephone calls uh, appears to be legal under South Carolina's Freedom of Information Act. But I noticed that this is being filed on a federal level. Did you pick up on that, John? And is there a reason? Yeah, I think the idea here is that the federal law trumps state law. It preempts. And so where the federal law is clear and civil rights are involved, which is the the Article 3 or Chapter 3 that they, they cite in their motion, then that's going to be that's going to be clearer and hold precedence over the South Carolina law on the same point. Because Murdoch's attorneys say that the federal law, quote, prohibits the disclosure of recorded telephone communications of inmates to the public in response to records requests. So that's why he's going federal. Yeah. Can you explain Title Three to us? Yeah. I mean, that's it's the Civil Rights Act. And, and if people get a chance to read their motion, it, it, it lays out very clearly that you have a constitutional right to not have the government trample on anything that might prejudice your trial. And so what they're citing is the specific statutes related to the release of inmates' phone calls and that there's clear case law on what is to be released and when it's to be released, and none of those fit the FOIA request release that these those release these tapes under now they're they're salacious they're fascinating from you know trying to understand what kind of person alex murdoch is but they should not have ever been released in, in my opinion the argument they make is the 
Inmates are informed that the calls will be recorded, but not informed they'll be provided to the public. Uh, is one of the arguments they make. That's right. So when you're in jail and you call and say, hey, you know, mom, come bail me out. You should not say, uh, by the way, mom, I had a case of White Claw followed with some fireball shots. And I was really drunk when I was driving, like because that is being recorded. And the purpose is being recorded is, is to be used against you in court not to be used against you in the court of public opinion. Which would then cause perhaps an unfair uh, trial, as the theory goes. That's right. And as these lawyers point out very well, and also violates your federal constitutional rights, which kind of should still mean something. There are a couple of things. So one, was it a timing thing? Like maybe these calls could be released after his, his trial? The way I'm reading the law, the purpose of the recording is for law enforcement to assist them in the ability to execute their case, not to be released to the public. He's not a he's not a public figure. He has an expectation. We all have an expectation of privacy when we talk to each other on the phone. So cook. So what I'm kind of hearing is there's a difference between monitoring and releasing. Huge. I mean, that's, that's the crux of it, that, that law enforcement needs to make sure that grandma's not bringing you a pound cake that has a, <laughs> a file and yeah. a Dellinger pistol in it. Right. It's not to listen to you talk about, you know, the quality of Cheetos in the commissary than to be released and to be made fun of that you love Cheetos. Yeah. And uh, Bender's take on that is, but it's held by the states, so therefore it is a public record. And that's that's where you're saying that doesn't, that's a whole thing. But it looks like the federal is different than the state, and that's important in this case. And well, and I disagree with Bender's take on that. I think, I don't think they intend to have the tapes released to the public they're intended to be released to assist law enforcement but but they're not a 911 call they're not the, the calls don't do anything to benefit the public and the person who's on the other line with like the family member right is, is not under scrutiny how do you think further communications are going to go i mean i know that they have filed a uh, an injunction to try to stop future communications so how do you think family members are going to be able to communicate from this point forward? My hope would be that an injunction would be issued that would allow them to communicate with the expectation of privacy, understanding law enforcement will be monitoring, but not that it's going to be released out to the general population. Again, I just don't see the, I don't see any benefit at all for for that. Like a family member says, oh, I feel so bad for you. Now they're going to be criticized publicly when they might be just saying that, you know, to make the guy feel good or because he's a brother or sister or whatever. Uh, they, they won't be able to. Well, I yeah. mean, our, our, our buster might be saying, dad, I really miss you. And that's a normal human emotion uh, for a son to have for yeah. his father, no matter who his father exactly. is. And that's, there's just no benefit in the execution of justice and that's really the the standard should be what helps 
bad guys that do bad things be punished uh. versus what's just done for salacious uh, reporting and and people to fill commentary. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, can you believe? And it's like, well, that's that's not what justice is. And that doesn't bring us any closer to justice for the victims. It doesn't, it doesn't help bland and the case mm-hmm. for, for beach. It, it just, it doesn't accomplish anything for public benefit. Well, there was another thing I noticed with this is Harpootlian and Griffin had asked for attorney's fees and damages. Do you think that is reasonable? I do think it's reasonable and it's statutory. And, and not only did they think that they should get them, but, Congress did when they enacted these statutes. What about, I mean, this is really the big question. Do you feel like these tapes being released impact Alex's ability to get a fair trial? At some point, how many times can you screw the guy over and it not have an effect on his defense? That there's, there's that issue. Okay. Two, all of us need to, not be okay with someone's civil rights getting trampled, whether or not we like them, whether or not we agree with anything about them. We shouldn't be okay with the system. I mean, it's the exact same thing. The system's being manipulated to achieve an end. That's not what the system is for. The system is meant for facts to be gathered, the facts to be applied to the law, and a result to be issued. That's it. It's not it's not death by social media or death by podcast or death by newscast. It's it's justice. And we we should all want that for everyone so that it's there for us if we ever need it. Other news organizations have filed requests for a request for this uh, for these tapes and they haven't been released. How do you think that's going to play it? Like, does the jail, since they've already released them to one news organization, are they going to have to release them to other news organizations? Uh, I mean, if I'm the other news organizations, I'm sending attorneys in to argue there was a waiver. And so you got to release them to everybody. But I think what the judge will say is they shouldn't have been released this time. We're going to sanction the party that released them and we're going to make sure they don't get released any further. Okay, Seton, what's up next? So also this week, we had Bank of America has been dismissed with prejudice from the Satterfield case. So my question to John was, do you think this means there was some sort of settlement? Yeah, the parties agreed that whatever whatever issues there were between them and Bank of America uh, have been adequately addressed. And so a dismissal with prejudice means that they can never bring any further claims against Bank of America related to these uh, parties and the factual allegations therein. Now, there's news on Cousin Eddie Smith, who you may remember was the man who Alec Murdoch said he paid to make it look like suicide on the side of the road in, on uh, on Labor Day weekend. And th- their stories are different from each other. But regardless, Eddie's involved with Alec on that, that Labor Day weekend shooting. And he's mentioned now tying in with this BOA and, 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 and Beach Estate thing. Explained. Yeah, Bland has filed suit against Eddie because there was some evidence that he recovered 
with some checks that went to Eddie Smith. So he okay. added Eddie Smith into the litigation. And what what have we heard, what would you just read about Eddie Smith? Uh, we we forwarded that to you just now, so you haven't had much time to look. What do you see? So what this is is this is an affidavit from Bland as the plaintiff's attorney saying we sued Eddie Smith. He gave him the full amount of time that the law requires to answer our lawsuit. He didn't. We gave him some extra time to answer the lawsuit, and he hasn't. And so, court, we would like to get a default judgment. We'd, we'd like to get an entry of default against him. And so, what that means is that Eddie is now barred from responding contrary to anything that's in the complaint. And then as the lawsuit moves forward, Eddie can be held liable for damages uh, in the amount that's consistent with with the judgment. So I guess Eddie just didn't show up for court? Eddie didn't show up for court, didn't hire a lawyer. Eddie definitely got the stuff that he needed to to show up for court. And he he just decided not to do it. Is he going to be pulled in on some sort of warrant or anything? Uh, no, it's just, he's just going to have a judgment against him. Okay. All right. And so, and we should note that since Bank of America has settled, the only two people named are Alec Murdoch and Eddie Smith. And now we move to a Fitz News report that a couple of runners, I guess they're called, were subpoenaed that worked for Alec's law firm. And John, uh, what's a runner? A runner is, um, is the same thing as a courier. So, it's somebody that a law firm will hire full-time to take things to the courthouse, go get paperwork signed and bring it back to the attorney's office, run checks to doctor's offices when settlements come in. The people that typically fill a job like that are young people that, have, that want to become attorneys one day. So it's, it's similar to an internship, but it's, it's a paid staff position. Uh, sometimes people do that like as a gap year between going to law school and graduating from college. And so it's, it's usually people that are very interested in being around the law, uh, but are not, you know, not, not yet lawyers or may decide they'd rather be paralegals. And it's kind of an entry level position in larger law firms. Of these two runners, one still works for the law firm. And in fact, the article said that he was interested, had goals to become an attorney. The other one no longer works for the law firm. But what was interesting, this is another mention of federal investigators questioning people. And they talk about deliveries of checks and cash. There was one who was delivered to a sitting state lawmaker. And they previously had questioned the controller of the Parker Law Firm. Why would that be interesting, possibly, John? Well, okay, so if Alex is saying, hey, Jimmy, here's $3,000 cash. I need you to go take that up to <laughs> Columbia. We've got we to gotta take care of this problem. Okay, well, if Jimmy asks questions and Jimmy has knowledge of, of what the problem is, then Jimmy could be part of the conspiracy. If Jimmy's just told, drive to Columbia, go to representative so-and-so's office and hand them this envelope. Jimmy is fine and has no issues. However, if he can say, I did deliver cash on such and such a date, that could be part of a bigger plan from the feds or SLED. 
it, it would be activity that would allow the federal government to maybe get more information from yeah. somebody than not. <laughs> right. But do, do runners typically really know what check what the check is for? I mean, they no, would- no. The, I mean, they're handed an envelope and told uh, uh, they're handed an envelope and they're told to go do what they need to do. So it could be a nothing burger, this whole thing. It's just like, but they're just checking everybody. Well, they were questioned. And- it, it's a, I think it's a nothing burger in their conduct, but a something burger in what was Alex telling you to do? Yeah, that's right. And that's right. Where did he tell you to go? And that, that helps connect the information that they already have about where money went and where it came from. There, this connects how it got to where it went. Well, the article said it was some sort of, the, the lawmaker was a, some sort of campaign contribution, which could be true. Yeah. yeah. You can say anything you want, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. Um, all right. That is a wrap with our legal analyst, John Snyder. Appreciate it, John. No problem. Thank you, guys. So we talked a lot about Corey Fleming in this episode, and we're going to be putting up on our Facebook page, which is Murdoch Podcast, a connections page where you can see some of the connections that Corey had to key members of this story. So go check it out. And rate the pod, the episode, if you would please, and uh, share it. Again, Murdoch Podcast, uh, Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com, and we will talk soon. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident? That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com.